Welcome to episode 195 of the Ski Podcast and thanks for joining us listener. Today we're going to have a sustainable focus. We're going to look at the new Eurostar snow train, find out what Les Arc is doing that sets them apart. Plus we're chatting to Chemi Alcott about her experience last winter of driving an electric car 5,000 miles back and forth across the Alps. Now, my name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guest today for her third time on the show. I'm delighted to welcome Helen Coffey, travel editor at The Independent. Morning, Helen. How are you? Morning, Ian. I'm very well, thank you. Like me, possibly you might be feeling a a little bit of a a come down because we were both in the Alps over the last three or four days. So therefore, at this point, normally I ask my guests, when did you last ski or snowboard? I think I know your answer. Where were you? Um, I was in teen um, and it was on, uh, God, I've already forgotten the days. It was on Tuesday. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> time flies at this time of uh, year, doesn't it? How how was it, importantly uh, for our listeners? How was the snow in Teen? Do you know what? It was it was really nice. They could have done with a little bit more, and I think the day we were leaving, um, it actually started snowing again. But I these days I'm not quite a fair weather skier. I will go out in anything, but I really really enjoy it when it's obviously a bluebird day, the sun shining. Um, I can see the slopes. It's gorgeous. And we had that for three days. And so I'd actually take personally a little bit less snow and lovely sunshine over can't see a thing and amazing snow. But I know not everyone feels that way. Evidently, it's uh, it's each to their own. But you're right. There is more snow coming in while you were in teen. I was in uh, Les Arcs and, you know, really good conditions there. You know, we have to qualify that by saying, you know, this time of year. But uh, people know that, you know, quite early on, mid-December, you don't always get great snow. But my experience was, and I'm sure it was exactly the same in uh, team, that the, the piece were in good condition. I was lucky enough to do a little bit of uh, off-piece, thanks to a guide uh, I went with uh, called Roma, who, who took me to some uh, secret spots. But on piece, I felt it was pretty good. It was quite hard underfoot in a few places. You know, the, that top snow had been pushed out of the way and because it had been cold, it wasn't like boilerplate or anything like that, but it was it was still quite hard, you know, lower down. Did you find that in team? Yeah, I mean, there were definitely sections. Um, if you know teen at all, there's kind of a route back in that it, it's a black run and then the top of it is really nice. And then you get down to the bottom bit, especially at the end of the day. And a bit of it is narrow and it's not so nice. And it really was quite icy, you know, when you're really going down the slope, um, which is, is sort of fine until when it is your last run of the day and, and it's kind of getting towards half four or something and the conditions are bad and your legs are tired. It's not that nice, but that was very, very limited. So, there were, yeah, lower down, there are a few quite icy runs. But otherwise, I thought, just as you said, like conditions were surprisingly good for this time of year, pre-Christmas. I was I was delighted with it, really. And when you're saying that final run was a bit difficult, is that affected by the fact uh, that you were dancing on the tables at the Folly Deuce uh, uh, prior to that? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Ian. <laughs> no, no, not at all affected by that. Uh, evidently conditions are good uh, let's have a listen we've got a few snow reports that have been sent in so let's have a listen to those hi ian so a short update from innsbruck it's me elena from the Tyrol area so i've been skiing the last few weeks and also nearby innsbruck in seafeld it's just a 20 minutes drive from the city um they have skied in the rostrick the skiing area 
but also in Axima Lesum um, over the last few weekends. So although, yeah, the snow conditions were even better a few weeks ago, we had a lot of snow. Snow conditions um, are still good. Of course, it got warmer, um, some snow melted as well, but the snow conditions are still good. And especially last weekend, the weather was just great. Bright blue skies. I mean, yes, the slopes were so good and we had a lot of fun on the pests. So really happy about that and looking forward um, yeah, to Christmas and Christmas holiday and many more skiing days in the sun. So the weather forecast for the weekend under Christmas predicts storms and also some rain and lots of snow at high altitudes. Also, the risk of avalanches has increased um, in certain areas. So we have to be careful here in the Tyrol area. Hi, this is Vanessa reporting from Lehman Weir. We had three gorgeous days of sunshine earlier on this week. And yesterday, Wednesday, the 20th, was the first overcast day. It was a bit of an inversion up high in Val was sunny, but lower down there was freezing fog and actually lower down again. So down towards Mirabel village, there was a bit of fresh snow. Not as much fall as was in the forecast, maybe five centimeters. And then last night it tried to snow again, but very, very lightly. This morning, Thursday, it's overcast again. And there's a little bit of snow forecast, but hopefully tonight is when the real snow will come. But everything's open. I mean, there's still a few chairlifts closed, a few linking lifts, but nothing that doesn't stop you exploring the whole area. Um, we skied all the way to Orel in one direction, down to Saint-Martin de Belleville, and all the way across to La Tanya. And all the pace are in fantastic condition. Really great for the time of year. Um, it's our last day skiing today, so looking forward to exploring some more. And anyone who's coming out for Christmas, the slopes are in great shape. Hi, it's Dave from Snowpro Ski School. Today I am joining you from Villa, and I am here with Will and Finn. Will is the heir to the throne of the Hotel du Lac. Uh, almost, almost. almost. You guys are at university, but you're on a break, I guess, now, right now. Where, yeah, what so, university are you at? So I'm at Durham. So, gents, we're here to talk about snow. We're not here to talk about your future careers. But the question that everyone wants to know is, what is the snow like? And don't say white and cold. Well, it's white and cold, but <laughs> it is also... Um, I mean, it's beautiful, actually. In the mornings, it's great snow, quite crisp. And then later towards the afternoons, it, it gets a little bit more um, softer which is quite nice in some aspects especially if you're doing some jumps and in the park yeah but especially towards the mornings if you want to be on the slopes and carving it's beautiful it is good beautiful. isn't it it's really really good we've got the inversion at the moment so when you go down into the valley it's like minus one or something and up here it's lovely that's going to flip and then tomorrow it goes uh, it goes a bit gray and snowy for the next five days so and before that we had a bit of kind of weather we had a week of kind of weather and then friday it changed it's 70 centimeters yeah yeah it's been absolutely magnificent and up here all open right everything's open you can go go do the whole loop go over to diablare you can do everything it's really really cool and obviously someone who doesn't live here full-time finn how are you yeah. finding it oh it's been great last last three days i think i i came at the perfect time blue skies fresh powder is pretty nice Hanging out with your mates. Hanging out with your mates. Skiing powder. Like, yeah, it's get... pretty nice. It's nice to have mates who, who, who live in the Alps. Right? Yeah, pretty good mate to have. <laughs> pretty good mate to have. 
Well, okay, so there you go, Ian. Uh, if you've got people coming out um, over the course of Christmas, New Year, conditions are ready for you. And a marked change from last year when it was yeah, a little bit difficult. I was about to say, compared to last year, yeah. it is five fivefold better. It is, like, isn't it? Not, it's absolutely. We had no snow completely last year. So yeah, glorious. 100, 100 times better. 100 yeah. times better. Excellent. All right, well, you guys, I know you're off. Have a great day. See well, ya. Nice well, to meet you. See you soon. Bye-bye. Right. Thanks to Eleanor, Vanessa and Dave for those uh, reports. Now, this seems like a good point to remind you, listener, that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. Uh, you get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to uh, support the Ski Podcast, then please do remember to book your ski hire within sport and use the code SKIPODCAST at check out or take the link in the show notes and if you do you'll save money and you'll be helping the ski podcast all right let's move on to a bit of news last weekend was possibly the best ever single weekend in british snow sports history for team gb uh, let's start with mia brooks um, she uh, secured the snowball big air crystal globe uh, after a third in copper mountain uh, that was the start of a pretty amazing week for her because she ended up finishing uh, the week by being voted bbc young sports personality of the year she's still only 16 uh, she really has had an amazing career so far so congratulations to you uh, mia and uh, and keep it going so on top of uh, Mia Brooks securing the uh, the Crystal Globe, also last weekend, friend of the podcast, Jasmine Taylor, she took two first places in the Telemark Sprint event in Pinzolo. Uh, Andrew Musgrave, who uh, you can listen to the special interview I did with him if you uh, have a look through the back catalogue, he got a second in the cross country in Trondheim, and that is a career best result for him. He's had a couple of thirds before and equals Britain's best cross country uh, result set by Andrew Young uh, back in 2020. And couple more podiums uh, Kirsty Muir came third in the uh, ski slope style at Copper Mountain and Zoe Atkin took third in the half pipe so pretty amazing uh, weekend overall for Team GB and uh, we look forward to more of those throughout the season now here's an unusual one uh, did you know that they have ski slopes in the desert ski slopes in the desert where in Saudi Arabia sorry I didn't quite get that hey I don't think you ever will because Trojana is hard to imagine, but this is how we imagined it. And so it goes on. Uh, this doesn't actually exist yet, but it is a, a plan in place in Saudi Arabia to build a ski resort in the desert, is in the mountains. Uh, I'm going to put a link into show notes if you want to look into it uh, in any more uh, detail. I've blogged about it on uh, Skipedia. It's hard to know whether this is just more greenwashing or maybe you call it uh, sport washing. Uh, we've certainly seen uh, art washing before with sponsorship by uh, fossil fuel uh, companies of galleries, etc. Maybe this is snow washing. Um, I'm pretty sure there's so much money there, they'll make it happen. But it just intuitively seems like the wrong thing. Uh, but have a look at the blog post and uh, you can make your uh, own mind up. Now, let's uh, segue to a sustainable alternative that is definitely not greenwashing. Uh, last Saturday, uh, I went out to the Alps on the new Eurostar snow train. There were several journalists on board. Uh, Helen, one of the reasons I wanted to invite you here uh, today is that you were one of them. What were your initial thoughts or overall thoughts about the new service? 
Well, I was just really excited that they brought it back um, because, as lots of people will be aware, it used to kind of be a regular service um, and then it, it wasn't and COVID happened and affected it. And then you could only take the, the ski train to the Alps if you booked a package with Travel Ski Express, which I also tried and was really good. But I know a lot of people didn't love the lack of flexibility around that because it meant you had to buy with this specific company. Um, so I just think it's really, really positive that they are bringing it back. Um, it is, I think, a trial period as far as I'm aware. They haven't committed to the whole season, which is slightly annoying. Um, but it was it was really good to see and, and see them testing it to to kind of, I guess, gauge the appetite of people coming from Britain, taking the train instead. Um, and we we were travelling with Inghams because they've they've started offering it, um, which is a major first for a, for a big company, a big tour operator to say, right, we think there's enough um, people that will want to travel this way. We're going to offer it as part of our package holiday. Um, so, yeah, it's not quite the same as before. So you're not going straight through. Um, you do have to change at Lille um, but it was a very very easy change I'm sure you'd agree and you don't have to change platform you literally get off it, I think it was about an hour's wait so you can go and grab some food if you want to come back down get yourself comfy the train was there really early so you don't have to be stressed so it wasn't like you know some train changes are quite tricky because you've got all your stuff and you're like oh god I've got to get up some stairs I've got to find my way across the station um yeah but this one was very smooth yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with you uh, there. I spoke to a number of people who were traveling uh, on the train. Quite a few of them had skis uh, or snowboard uh, bags with them. And it was very straightforward to get off that Eurostar that came into Lille. And then you had to go maybe, well, I guess it depends where you were on the train. But let's say, you know, 50, 100 meters uh, up the platform to put it onto the uh, the new train that went from Lille onto Borg Saint-Maurice. And there were some dedicated storage areas uh, on the on the second train. I didn't think at any point on either train um, there was any pressure because of the number of bags that were involved. In fact, on that first Eurostar, they'd set aside some seats for people to uh, put their ski bags in, uh, etc. You know, we were guests of uh, Ingham's on the uh, way out there. And you mentioned Travel Ski, who also sell packages. But I think it's really important what you said there about just being able to buy a ticket, be able to buy a ticket on the train, because that was one of the limiters with that previous service. And the people I spoke to, I mean, it did seem the majority of people had just bought that ticket and then were making their own arrangements, uh, you know, once they got to their destination. Yeah, and I think that it's nice because... For a long time, we, we had kind of summer package holidays and then there was this a real upsurge in people actually wanting to book those individually. Like, actually, I want to book. I want to choose when my flight is and where it goes from. I want to choose my own hotel, actually. Maybe I want more than one hotel. Maybe I want to try different places and, and actually put together a bespoke trip that I'd like. And for such a long time, there just hasn't been really the same opportunity to do that with ski holidays. It's been like, no, you must get this exact package it's going to be this long we decide everything about it and you just buy it and that's the only way you can really do it unless you're driving so it's just really nice to have another option for people who would like to be a bit more flexible you know for example we went out there for kind of three days of skiing instead of a week I couldn't have taken a week before Christmas I mean work's manic so mm. it's lovely to have that other other side to it yeah and I think it's important uh, to stress I mean you said it's almost like a test 
by Eurostar because this service is only running uh, until early February. And they actually sold 50% of their tickets in the first week. Realistically, if you're listening to this uh, now and you want to go on that service, you can do it. I had a quick look, but it's going to be more expensive. It's a £365 return if you want to travel out, I think, on the 20th of uh, January. What we're hoping is that Eurostar are going to have looked at this and decided, well, okay, you know, there is genuine demand here. And when we come to next season, they will put it on for the uh, for the whole season. And just to clarify, the way it worked was you bought at St Pancras like you do with uh, any train in the old snow train. It's actually a train going to Brussels, but you get off in Lille where you can change in Lille, Europe on the same platform. And then you're getting on a second train, which is actually a Talis uh, train. Eurostar and Talis have, uh, have merged. So they're using one of their rolling stocks going out to Borg San Maurice. And, you know, we left at, uh, I think, 901. Uh, and we got into uh, Borg Saint Maurice uh, actually a little late, scheduled to get in at 620. But there were all sorts of problems that affected every train going into that area meant we were about an hour and a half late. For me, uh, I went to Les Arcs, and uh, as some listeners will know, the connection to Les Arcs is so good. I basically walked to the end of the platform, went over the bridge, and there's a funicular, which is, uh, if you're traveling for the sustainable reasons, it's an electric funicular run uh, on 100% renewable electricity, and that takes you up to 1600 for the final section of the journey. You, Helen, you went up to uh, Teen. How long did it take from Borg up to Teen? It's not long. I think it's something like 40 minutes, um, maybe transfer, something like that. It didn't feel long at all because, um, it, yeah, it's it's not so far. It's not as easy as Les Arts. I, I have to say I've done that connection as well, Ian, and I'm always amazed. It's just so smooth. It's so easy. Um, and it makes getting to Les Arts one of the, the best kind of sustainable resort journeys. But, yeah, I think anywhere in that bit of the French Alps, whether you, you want to go Three Valleys or Teen Val d'Isère or Le Plan, it's, it's pretty straightforward and pretty easy. Yeah. Well, I spoke to a couple of people on the train. Let's have a listen to some of those interviews. Right. I'm sitting here in Lille with uh, Charlotte. Really interested to uh, see you on the train with your six month old. Uh, how's it gone so far? Yeah, it's great. Um, we take the Eurostar quite a lot, so it's not been very different from, from when we normally do that. But in the last few years, we've been flying um, to go skiing. Uh, but this year, we decided to take the train instead because we've got a baby and it just makes the transfer so much easier um, because we just um, have a short taxi from board rather than having to get a transfer from Geneva. So the main reason was uh, because it's just simpler with a young child, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I wouldn't want to take a shared taxi or a, or a transfer bus from yeah. Geneva or Grenoble with, with a six-month-old. So that's, and what, that's and what about, you know, the fact that the emissions are lower? Is that uh, important to you that's at all? That's certainly brilliant, but it's not something that I necessarily took into account when making my decision. Cool. Well, enjoy the rest <laughs> of your trip. Thanks. So I'm sitting here in Lille Station with uh, Claire and we've just been chatting about, you know, why you chose uh, the snow train. I found it really interesting. I wonder if you'd like to, you know, what was your, what was your thinking? Um, just to um, shorten the length of journey from Nottinghamshire to um, the ski resort. So yeah, get it all done in a day, you can relax. I mean, I love that. You told me you started at six o'clock this morning in Nottingham. I will be at Balsam Emirates at half six and where we're staying is just a 30 minute transfer. Yeah. So we'll be at the accommodation by seven tonight. Cool. And compared with like driving, how, how do you think it comes out price wise? Um, more expensive than what two would be driving. Yeah. I would say 
not double, but probably nearly double. But we felt that as it's near Christmas, we just would do it this year. But um, going forward, we probably will go back to um, the car. But we'll see how it goes with all the amount of luggage and the skis. It's been okay so far, so we'll just see what the last train's going to be like with this amount of luggage. Excellent. Well, I'll, uh, we'll find out when we get to Bourg Maurice. Yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks very much, Claire. So we're currently on the train now from Lille to Bourg Saint Maurice and with Faye and her family. And I'm really interested, you were telling me before, like why you chose to travel on the train? Yeah, well, we last went about four years ago skiing and we'd always flown. Um, but over recent years, we've just been thinking about other options to make it a bit more environmentally friendly. Right. Um, started looking on the internet and came across the ski train. Yeah. Give it a go. Okay. And has it worked? as you thought it would because you know this train obviously had to change in Lille was that okay? Yeah the change in Lille was absolutely fine just literally walk a few metres the other side of the platform um, had to ask somebody at the station just to make sure we were in the right place but um, but once we did that yeah we'll Okay and what about the, the price relative to flying you said you've flown before how do you think it yeah, sort of comes out? I think it's similar I think it's similar um, putting everything with the, with everything that we paid for last time versus this time I think it's similar but, Yeah well you know I'd like to think that if you can do it for a similar price and you can do it for a fraction of the emissions and you know you've got children with you today kind of uh, are they finding it okay (laughs) it's a long journey but Oh, so good. They've got a, a bag of stuff each, so um, they've got lots of things to do. Mostly IT devices at the moment, but hopefully the books will come Well, soon. you're about to go on the, about the best family <laughs> holiday that you can uh, do anyway, all being outside on the yeah. mountain together. That's great. Thanks very much, Faye. I appreciate it. Pleasure. It is a new service. How important do you think it is to have the sustainable options of travelling to the Alps? Oh, my goodness. I think it's so important. Um, it it's funny with skiing and with ski resorts, they are so aware of the impact of climate change. They are at the sharp end of it because they're seeing every year their snow get affected. And especially kind of resorts with glaciers, they, they can literally see them shrinking in real time. It's absolutely terrifying. And so they are trying to do more and more to promote sustainability because they know that, that their business model and their resorts won't be able to open if we carry on the way that they, that we are. Um, and, to be honest, resorts can do as much as they like, but if everyone's flying there, that is by far the biggest carbon impact of a holiday, whether it's ski or not, but especially with ski. When we're all jumping on planes, I think, don't quote me on this, but it's something like 70% of the carbon of the holiday will be from the flight. So if you can get a train instead, if you can do something more sustainable, you are massively reducing the impact of that holiday. And it's a really, really great way to travel as well. I always stress this. It's not like you're kind of doing some sacrificial martyrdom bits by getting the train. It's enjoyable. You've got space to move around. You've got space to work. They've often got Wi-Fi and power sockets. It's just a really nice way to travel. So I really encourage people to consider it. I will quote you on that because I think actually you're you're right in the uh, zone there. You know, different uh, organisations and research has shown that it's 50 to 80 percent of the carbon footprint. If you're coming from the UK of your ski holiday is coming from your travel there. If you're flying and regular listeners to the podcast will know that, um, uh, you know, a champion of that low carbon side of things. And actually, I've taken or I'm taking a little bit of uh, inspiration from you, Helen, because anyone who's listened to uh, the special episode I recorded with you will know that despite being travel editor for The Independent, 
you actually haven't taken any flights in the last, I think it's four years now. Well, I guess I've taken inspiration by you, but many other people as well. And so uh, for 2024, I'm going to take that, uh, make that commitment as well, that I'm not going to take any flights. And I think it's important what you said just then. It's not really that much of a limiter. It's not particularly uh, difficult. You know, I normally travel out to the Alps uh, by train. I'm going to be doing a couple of other uh, trips as well. In terms of, you know, your life, you know, four years, you haven't been uh, flying now. Has how, how have you found that experience so far? I just find, found it really enjoyable, actually. Um, it's so funny. And it's why, um, and you've had her on the podcast, she might even be on this podcast, um, Anna Hughes, founder of Flight Free UK, which encourages people to do exactly what you're talking about and pledge to not fly for a year. It's a really smart campaign because what you find when you do it for a year is that it's completely possible. And so it just, that's why I've kept taking it because every year I'm like, oh, I could probably do that again. It wasn't too difficult. And if you do it year by year, it doesn't feel too scary. If you told me four years ago, <laughs> I'd have done four years without flying, I would have laughed in your face. I'd have said, you're absolutely mad. And yet here we are. And I'm going to be taking the pledge again for 2024 and making it five years. And somehow it just hasn't felt like a hardship. I've experienced loads of different kinds of travel. I've got sleeper trains. I've got lovely ferries. Um, I've got long distance coach journeys, which are less lovely, but completely doable and will get you where you need to go. So I'm just excited to carry on this journey, to be honest, and see see how far I can get. Well, I mean, from my point of view, we were actually chatting on the train uh, yesterday. I was picking up, uh, you know, some tips from you. One of uh, the trips I'm going to do is going to involve uh, taking the uh, ferry as a foot passenger. Um, I'm going to be going on the Caledonian uh, sleeper up to Scotland. So I'm looking forward to uh, that as well. And yes, you did mention Anna Hughes, who's the founder of Flight Free UK and definitely an inspiration. She has been on the show before and she uh, sent me a short message. Hi Ian, it's Anna from Flight Free UK. I'm really pleased to hear you've taken our Flight Free Challenge for 2024. It's great to have you as part of our campaign. I'm sure that you'll have a year full of adventures and I know that you travel by train a lot. So um, this is part of the point of our challenge to show that not flying doesn't mean not travelling. And I wish you all the best for your travels this year. If anyone else would like to sign up to the challenge or find out what it's all about, you can go to flightfree.co.uk. There's lots of information on our website about why we should be flying less and how to do that. So the places you can still go, um, all the reasons why grounded travel is as good for you, the traveller, as it is for the planet. So thanks, Ian, for joining us and have a happy flight free year. Uh, great. Well, so just to finish that off, I should remind uh, listeners, it's not too late to pick up a Christmas present for the low carbon uh, travel fan in your life. I happen to know of a really good book called Zero Altitude, How I Learned to Fly Less and Travel More. That's uh, one of yours, I think, Helen, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Thank you for that plug. I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> but yes, it's a very, very good Christmas present or present for any occasion um, for someone in your life who's looking to do lots more traveling, but maybe thinking about the environmental impact. Um, so you, please pick it up anywhere online. Well, if you want to hear um, more about that and about Helen's uh, history of not flying, uh, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. But uh, we did a special all about that. 
Now, let's move on to uh, Les Arc. I said I went up to uh, Les Arc, and one of the great things about the resort there is they are really focused on sustainability. I would say them and Sir Chevalier are probably the two leading resorts in terms of their attitude towards uh, uh, sustainability across all ski resorts uh, in the Alps. And more recently, I've covered some of the sustainable aspects of their approach before, but more recently, they have become only the second ski resort in the world and the first ski resort in Europe to be given B Corp accreditation. So listeners, you might not be familiar with with B Corp. I mean, it is an international accreditation with over 7,000 companies across the world who've got it. Helen, I wondered if uh, you're familiar with it. Do you want to try and explain to our listeners what it is? Uh, I'll try. I am familiar with it. Um, so, as you say, yeah, it's this accreditation that is for companies to apply for um, that basically proves they're taking sustainability really, really seriously, but not just sustainability. I think it's kind of, you know, people and planet. So if you treat your employees really badly, but you're green, that's not going to cut it for B Corp. Um, and a big part of it is um, is measuring your impact. So and that's kind of the first step on any company's journey to reducing is, OK, let's find out first of all, let's measure our, our carbon impact. And then we look at all the ways in which we can try and cut that back and cut it back and cut it back. Um, so it's very st- stringent. It's quite hard to get. And companies that want it really have to put in a lot of work in order to achieve it. So it's not some kind of tick box greenwashing thing, which is good. And that's why we like it. Um, so it's it's kind of amazing that Lazark have managed to get that. Um, it's a really, really positive step. And hopefully it will encourage other resorts to do the same. No, you're exactly right. And I think it probably will, because you know, Lazark was one of the uh, first resorts to get the uh, Flocon Vert uh, accreditation, which is a uh, you know something for French ski resorts, which is specifically a about their environmental standards. And at the time, there were only eight resorts uh, in France that had the Flock en Ver. Now there's 20 resorts in France and they've actually introduced different levels uh, within that. So it does attract other people and it gives something to help the consumer to understand which resorts or which destinations or which companies are actually uh, making these changes and and, uh, making the effort. And you mentioned there, Helen, about B Corp, about how... I mean, some listeners will probably be familiar with the phrase CSR. It sounds very dry, but it's really about more than just that uh, environmental side of things. It's about your responsibility towards your community as well. So part of the process that they had to go through for this is they're demonstrating that 90% of their purchasing comes from that local region. And in fact, you know, I had a meeting with um, Marie Clemence Vallier. She was head of the committee that put their whole of their B Corp application through. They're now looking to draw that in even closer so a third of their purchasing would just be from within the uh, Savoie and they have a lot of other projects as well where they're basically readjusting the mountain back to the status it was before the lifts and the piece were put in because at the time back in the uh, 60s in the case of uh, Les Arcs they essentially just ripped up the mountain and put these pieces in. And now they're going through a process of effectively rewilding, uh, creating uh, wetland areas by um, replanting things like uh, rhododendrons and myrtle, which is responsible for those wonderful myrtle tarts uh, that you get in the Alps. Tree planting is a specific type of fir that they're working with the the, uh, the French Office of Forestry to replant on the slopes of Les Arcs 
to try and come up with a, a different type of um, species that's going to be resistant to some of the parasites that they uh, get there. All of these different elements, there's a lot of education involved in it as well. Educating the staff who work for the, the domain, but also educating uh, visitors as well. And if anyone's been out to Valandry, at the top of the uh, Valandry uh, gondola, there's a really, really interesting museum, which is probably aimed at children, but is really interesting for everyone, which just gives you much more of an insight into the flora and fauna, 30 different species that live in the mountainside uh, in that area, and trying to get people to develop that understanding that you know, essentially we're sharing that space with them. And so, so much of, uh, you know, the B Corp is about that side of things. You know, there's also the fact that, I can't remember if I mentioned it, there's 500 members of staff employed by uh, ADS, who are the ski company operator, uh, Les Arc. But their research has shown that uh, there's two and a half thousand other jobs, five times as many, that are dependent on the visitors coming to that resort. So their education spreads out to all of them uh, as well and helping people to understand that that community and the environment around them is really important. So I mentioned I talked to uh, Marie Clemence. Uh, let's have a listen to a bit of that interview. I'm currently uh, sitting in La Cachette Hotel in Les Arcs and I'm here today with Marie Clemence uh, Vallier. Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> Ça va bien? Bien et vous? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. And the reason we're here, and I'm talking to you, uh, Mary Clemence, is because Les Arc has recently got uh, B Corp accreditation. And you said to me earlier that that took a long time. How how long has that journey been? Um, the journey during uh, two years, um, when we decided to launch the certification. The thing about uh, B Corp, is that it's it's a much bigger um, achievement than just something like Flocon Vert. Like, I was here a couple of years ago, three years ago, I think, and Les Arc had just got Flocon Vert. But B Corp is about more than just the environmental side of things. But what are the other things that you're taking into account? What are the other elements? We, we value what we can make for the workers, what we can make for our territory, what we can make for the clients, the whole customers, and uh, what uh, are practical on the ethical and transparency. And, you know, there are some real specific projects within that. I think one of the most interesting ones that you told me about is that you have been doing a lot of planting on the mountain yeah. so you've planted replanted trees and plants as well what 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 are those what have you done there we we planting uh, sapin pectiné um, blueberries rhododendron yeah to refresh to make the mountain like uh, it was uh, on the past right because before the piece were there then so when the piece were put in a lot of these plants were taken out and now you're putting them back yeah we we put it back company des Alpes, uh, owns les arc and uh, i know that they have a uh, a net zero uh, target were they um, encouraging for you to try and get b corp accreditation yeah there will be a real support 
for us because uh, certain projects like the the HVO it's uh, apported by our group the city. So, and what you're referring to there is converting the snow groomers from diesel to uh, to HVO hydrogenated vegetable oil. Not very easy to say. So, one of the things you said there, you're talking about. Some people may not understand the, the differences, but essentially scope one and scope two are things that are under your control and scope three are out of your uh, control. Yeah. But you can affect those as well because I travelled here by train and one of the great things about coming to Les Arts by train is you can come on the funicular and you've made the decision to make it free for people free who come by train. We came here in train. Yeah. yeah, and that's a way of reducing the overall emissions. We don't know really, but uh, we make that to encourage customers to reduce our emission when they come to enjoy our ski area. Yeah, that's great. Les Arc is the first ski resort uh, in Europe to get B Corp uh, accreditation. Do you think now that that's happened, there'll be other resorts that want to do that as well? Would that be a good thing? Maybe, and uh, if they want to go and to come with us in the B Corp movement, we enjoy to help. Yeah, in English, we call that a win-win situation. Yeah. Does that uh, have that in French as well? Gagnant, gagnant. Gagnant, gagnant. Yeah, well, let's hope that is what happens. That's great. Thank you so much for that. So that was really interesting, and I'm going to write an article about that for In the Snow magazine. So uh, it's not published yet, but when it is, I'll include a link into the show notes. Now, on the train, on the snow train, uh, going out to the Alps last week, Chemi Alcott was there also as a guest of Ingham's. And I took the opportunity to talk to her about her experiences of driving an electric vehicle in the Alps. She mentioned this to me when I was talking to her at the ski show uh, in the winter, I've been trying to find the time to, uh, to track her down. She did over 5,000 and miles in her car so let's have a listen to that something i wanted to talk to you about you you told me about at the ski show about how last winter you spent uh, all of your time in the Alps last winter driving around in an electric vehicle now i've had a bit of experience of driving electric vehicle in the Alps, but not the whole winter so i don't know if it's possible to kind of summarize you know how it went overall but let's be specific i mean yeah. how many how many miles did you cover so i did 4900 miles 12 countries 12 countries yeah. right and um it was incredible it was a real steep learning curve i want to say it was very easy but it wasn't it was something that i couldn't research enough on how to do efficiently it caused me quite a lot of anxiety because I struggled in certain countries like Germany with charging points when I was doing an overnighter okay. and I'd booked a hotel that had a charging point and I get there and uh, there's a car in it that had been dumped two days before. Oh, um, I hate that, yeah, oh people people blocking. So just tell us then, what, what vehicle were you using? So I used a Skoda Enyaq, yeah. uh, four-wheel drive with a roof box that's really important yeah because that affects the efficiency actually i was really surprised overall by it not um, affecting it more yeah i did a lot of the tricks like no heating and to <laughs> the extent that i had a special i still have it for this winter as well i've got a special driving jacket special shoes special gloves that i wear no one um on tour comes in the car with me because you don't put the heating on I at all put the heating on so i every like half an hour i have to wind the windows down to let the moisture out um, 
because I was being I'm also really competitive Ian so <laughs> I like to win each journey has to be a win for me so I want to see my stats improve and obviously you're so you about the number of miles yeah, you get but well, yeah. I think it, it can be miles per kilowatt hour or something yeah, like exactly. that so um, so I understand right okay you're keeping the heating off to try and get the maximum range possible what was the range or is the range in that vehicle I think the range is normally around 300 and I would get about 220 240 um, on the mountain roads and then on the motorway as long as you're kind of not going too fast you yeah. can minimise that as well so I guess the key thing is you mentioned there you kind of had anxiety being able to yeah. charge is the key and I'm, issue I'm not an anxious person I do like to prepare anyway professionally um, but yeah it was the charging the control of the charging not knowing if a certain charging point because in the mountains you know we're not talking about I'm not on the motorways all the time on the motorways they are amazing there's parts of in France that have a huge abundance of charging for cars in Austria in the McDonald's even there's great charging points but it's on the mountain roads when you're trying to find a charging point there that you really are reliant on a few yeah it's interesting resorts are definitely putting them in uh, you know with increasing frequency but you often find you know that maybe they're uh, in an underground car park mm. or something like that and you spend all your time going in there to then discover mm. there's another car that's already parked and that's mm. it you can't do anything else so i would try and make a stop in a town yeah which i didn't need to go to that then i could do my laundry at the same yeah. time because the other issue i had was for the first <laughs> month every time i charged i had a coffee and cake and then i realized i couldn't couldn't do up my ski trousers anymore right. and I was like right, this isn't the most efficient use of my time <laughs> so then I started rolling a yoga mat out doing yoga or going to do laundry okay or I'm thinking shop. I'm thinking that's unusual I mean most people listening to this podcast would be thinking about whether or not they could actually drive to the mountains and I think the point yeah. you're making there is on motorways there's a look the provision yeah. of charges is much better if and this would be my advice for sure you know you should top up at the last big supercharger before you go up to Mm -hmm. resort because that way you're going to cover it and then you'll find that when you actually leave and when you go downhill exactly you get that benefit of the regenerative braking and your your uh, your range will go up i mean i reckon anyone who saw me driving at world champs last year in (laughs) courchevel coming down from the courchevel side to up to bozel where we were above that thought i was the world's worst driver because (laughs) i was wavering around 70 percent for two 17 percent charge for two weeks which was quite stressful so I was really trying to maximise on the downhill braking to charge up the car and a Skoda I have to say is very good at that Okay, Um, but you do have to kind of go quite heavy on it to make an impact and and what about conditions I mean if you did 5,000 miles in the winter you must have driven in some pretty bad conditions at times how was it how was the car in in that I mean I've obviously driven a lot of cars in the snow during my snowy life and I have to say I think it's one of the best the pickup right. on it on going up hills on icy slopes was amazing it comes with snow socks it comes with all these chains obviously it's a four wheel drive I didn't have to use anything it was unbelievably sensitive to the conditions in terms of how it can keep the traction yep. and I, I was really surprised by that I haven't driven an electric vehicle in the snow but I've read and written about yeah. it a little bit and I think another thing is like when you're um let's say going downhill or having to brake because it has that regen braking yep. then that's a much more a much easier way to slow the car down and it's, it's less likely to well. skid yeah exactly yeah safer definitely. yeah okay it and feels quite heavy when you're not used to it i always say that to people and you have to tell everyone in the back that you're doing this to charge the car because yeah. it 
can be quite an aggressive movement on the core when someone's right, using okay. that region. And so then, so a very different experience for you. You went around all, you know, all these different countries from the massive uh, races to each other. If you're going to make a recommendation to someone who's thinking about taking their electric car yeah. you know, to the Alps and maybe doing a bit more of an extended trip, what would you yeah. say to them? I would say... Do your research, prepare, get the charge map card, get all the apps that you think you'll need beforehand, plan your journey. Um, we've done it again this year. I just want to say that yeah. I, I know it sounds like I'm saying it's a nightmare. It wasn't a nightmare. It was a learning curve. There's a very much a difference. And I started with nothing and I built up that understanding and educating myself. And we've done it this year. And it took us from door to door, from London to Flen, um, 14 hours. Um, with all the charging with the tunnel so that's pretty impressive now I think everything is changing the whole time the infrastructure is catching up Um, and it is really enjoyable why I love it is the silence as you can tell I'm quite a hustle and bustle kind of person I'm very busy there's loudness to everything whether that means a family life or anything else I love getting in the car in the mountains and driving electric and having absolute silence apart apart from when you've got the windows uh, open to you know clear out that's nature clear out the condensation but then that's nature cool that well that's really interesting Chemi and uh, you know enjoy uh, you've got the same car for this winter right Yeah, yeah. yeah so enjoy uh, driving it around look forward to hearing how it goes <laughs> thanks Ian thanks so that was really interesting apologies for the quality of that recording quite a lot of coughing and background uh, noise there we were on the train but I really wanted to take that opportunity to uh, talk to Shemi because she's really got a lot of experience there of driving an electric vehicle in the mountains and you know evidently that range anxiety did affect her but uh, as she said by going up and down the mountain the whole time particularly in that Courchevel section she just managed to keep the range there so I'm not actually I have driven electric vehicles out to the Alps a couple of times i'm not going to be driving one this year but i am going out in a slightly different vehicle which is going to be experiment i'll be reporting on this later on in the ski podcast but i just wanted to bring uh i guess bring it into the uh, spotlight just now what I'm doing in April is I'm going out. There's two families. I'm going to be traveling in a van out of the out. Slightly different van from usual. It's actually being rented from a company called Vans for Bands. And these vans are literally, as uh, the name suggests, they are for bands. So they've got a massive amount of storage room in the uh, back. And then in the middle, you've got three sets of very nicely appointed seats facing each other with a table in between. So the idea is that the kids are going to be able to sit back there, you know, play cards, you know, a couple of video screens as well so you can watch uh, movies etc as well and then in the front we're going to have two families so four adults will be able to share the uh, driving on the journey so we'll have less driving each the cost will be less overall than two cars uh, two families driving a car each and i've done the calculations and the carbon emissions will be significantly less as well based on how i've calculated it we won't really know until i drive it and see how much diesel it uses but it'll be around um, 11% of the cost of uh, the carbon cost of flying so if you're interested in that look out for i'll put a link in the show notes vans for bands and you can see exactly what that type of vehicle is and if there's a group of you wanting to go out it's going to be a luxurious way of doing it 
I enjoy your feedback about the show. I'd like to know what you think, especially about our features. So please contact me uh, on social at Ski Podcast or by email to skipodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Neil Howlett contacted me. He said, thanks for the pod. Really enjoying the content. We have a shared passion for trains. But he also said he was very interested to hear about heli skiing in Chile in episode 194. Uh, while Patagonia sounds incredible, I was disappointed to hear about all the heli rides. How can this be scalable in this day and age? You've got a valid point there, Neil. And actually, you're not the only person to raise the, the carbon cost of this type of trip. And, you know, should I even be mentioning it or promoting it on the podcast? And I guess, you know, my answer to that is that, you know, I try and give people the information you know, to help people understand the impact and to let people understand how they can go about minimizing their carbon uh, footprint. But I don't think that I'm in a position to say to people, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. And you must come across this, uh, Helen. I mean, you're on the travel uh, side of things at The Independent. How do you square the more higher carbon trips? And what's your view in terms of, you know, whether you should promote them or not? Um, it's a really good question. I, I feel very similar to you, Ian, I think, in that, um, you know, before I stopped flying, I took an awful lot of flights in my lifetime, an awful lot. And so I'm coming at this from a position of zero judgment because I've I've been to all these places. So I can't sit here and lecture people that they're not allowed to. Equally, yeah, what I try and do is promote the lower carbon options, talk about how positive and how enjoyable they are and focus on that side rather than the negative. Because I also think, I mean, I'm not an expert in this, but things I've read around behaviour change, you do not change people's behaviour by being judgmental and making them feel bad. That is not what makes us change our mind about something. You do it by inspiring them and encouraging them. And people in your life might see you doing something or hear about you doing something and think, oh, maybe I'll give that a go. You know, it's the whole catching flies with honey thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I like to kind of promote the better options, but I'm never going to sit here and tell people what to do purely because I know it won't work. It just makes people more stubborn, doesn't it? Well, OK, I mean, I think that's fair. And that's kind of effectively my answer as well. And uh, the only other thing I could say to you, Neil, is that 40 plus percent of our listeners are all over the world. And I had, the last time I had looked, I see we have three listeners in Argentina. So maybe they're the ones who'd be taking uh, this trip. Now, we've had a lot more feedback as well. So uh, a few others. AP Northfields, uh, loving the frequent podcast drops as we enter the new season. Keep up the great work. Uh, Wigman on Snowhead said, love the 192. You don't get quality chat regarding coach chassis lengths and the best Italian refuges anywhere else. Uh, Peter S. also on Snowhead said, great interview with Lou about the Dolomites. That was number 192. She knows her stuff. Mike Greenland very kindly bought me a coffee and said, always a good show. Uh, Peter Till said, thank you for the podcast. It's gotten me more and more excited for my first trip. And Martin Wallerman said, only recently discovered the ski podcast and really love it. I've been working my way through the older 180 plus episodes in the last few weeks. It's a pleasure on my daily commutes. Uh, so if you like the podcast, there are three things you can do to help. Firstly, you can review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That helps listeners find us. You can subscribe so you don't uh, miss a single episode. And finally, you can book your ski hire with Intersport Rent using the code Ski Podcast or taking the link in the show notes. Now, there are now 197 episodes to catch up with. I had a look. 146 were listened to in the last week, which is amazing. 
I also had a quick look. 58% of our listeners are in the UK, 42% around the world. And I saw that nine of them were in Saudi Arabia. So if you are in Saudi Arabia and you're a skier, let me know what you think about the Trajana Resort, uh, the ski resort in the desert. Now, there's so much to listen to in our back catalogue. Just go to theskipodcast.com, search around the tags and categories. You're bound to find something of interest to you. You can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at Ski Podcast. But for now, I'd like to thank Intersport for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today, Helen. Thank you, Helen, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Well, that isn't quite the last podcast of 2023 because we've got another one of our equipment specials coming up soon, but that was definitely the most complicated to edit. There were 19 different bits of audio, but I think I've managed to string them together okay. So, listener, if you enjoyed the podcast and you enjoy the effort that goes into creating it, you are very welcome to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Coffees are always appreciated. Thanks again for your support and for listening to the show.